Christians and politics. I don't know how those two words sound in your ears, but I think for most people, and I know for me, it causes a lot of consternation, sometimes frustration. Um, and I think for a lot of us who are trying to follow Jesus, it causes a lot of confusion. What's our place in the world, particularly in the United States of America in 2020? How are Christians supposed to think about our place and our role in the political sphere? There's so much ugliness. There's so much deceit. There's so much immorality, injustice, bad stuff. And yet, there are a lot of good desires. Uh, at least for us, there are a lot of good desires. And even the world, when you hear different matters of, of political import, you can see, and you don't have to squint all that hard to see it, a lot of good goals that people have. Uh, the right treatment of all people, fairness, um, you could go on down the line. So how do we deal with this? There's a bunch of bad, there's some good. Are, are, do we have a place here? If so, what is it? Over the next several weeks here on the podcast, we're going to be considering this and we're going to be um, putting out some episodes that are just recordings of class discussions uh, that we've been having, uh, Bible classes that we've been having here in Brooklyn and that we hope might be valuable for others who are trying to think about what it means to follow Jesus and to be a member of political society in the United States of America. I wanted to set this series up with just a couple of fundamental thoughts as it relates to um, politics, as it relates to the scriptures. First off, you may think politics is just a bad word or a worldly word. Uh, the word politics can conjure up all sorts of bad stuff in our minds. But really, politics isn't an inherently bad word. It just really refers to how people work together. Uh, if you go back to you can look up definitions and, and find some of the roots of the word, it just is speaking about how people interact and relate in any kind of formalized relationship. So when we talk about office politics or family politics or, um, you know, even governmental politics, all it's talking about is not people being dirty and cheating each other and stabbing each other in the back, which I think is what we normally would think of when we think about that word. It's just talking about how people work together in formalized settings. And as Christians, we um, have a political life. We have political perspectives. And you may say, no, 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 that's not true because, I mean, look, the world is corrupted, and that's exactly true. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says that we know that the whole world lies under the sway or under the control, the power, the influence of the evil one. So you're right if you say, no, 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 look, like we, we don't have a place in politics in the world because the world is evil. That's right. Jesus said the same thing. Uh, he would talk about the ruler of this world, talking about Satan. So it's true to say, hey, we don't really have a place in worldly politics because look how evil and wicked it is. That makes sense. There's something to that. But if, if your thought then is uh, Christians don't have a political life at all, uh, I challenge you to pause in two respects. One, I think what we'll see in the ensuing weeks as, as we look at what Scripture has to say is that uh, while Christians need to be extremely careful about how we engage with worldly politics, just because those things are ruled by the evil one doesn't necessarily mean that we have no relationship or no role to play in the political sphere. Also, when I say Christians have a political life, uh, we need to think about our entire life of devotion to Christ 
as a political action, as a political commitment. Whenever Jesus first came on the scene, you can find this in Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, and Luke chapter 4. The first summation of Jesus' teachings in each one of those accounts of Jesus' gospel, they would say this, Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God in the gospel of Mark. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Kingdom is, uh, that's a political construct. That's a political idea. Uh, Of course, it doesn't stop here because whenever Jesus would go around telling people that the kingdom had come, he would also talk about how he was the king. You know, Matthew chapter 16 and Mark 8 and Luke 9, whenever the, uh, the, the disciples came to this realization of who Jesus really was, they called him Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. The title, Son of God, in the Old Testament was a prophetic way of talking about the future ruler of God's kingdom. It was a political title. Christ, Son of God, even Son of Man, comes from Daniel chapter 7. It's not just talking about Jesus being a human being, although it certainly has a, has a connection to that. It's more than that. The, the title, Son of Man, when connected to Christ, is a callback to Daniel chapter 7, which is a passage about politics. It's about political forces throughout history and how there would be one who would rule over them all, and that being Jesus. The gospel of Christ is a political message. It's a message that says that Jesus is king. It's a message that says his kingdom has come. It's a message that informs all the relationships and all the hierarchy of those who serve God in Christ. Now, I know maybe you're thinking, it's like, oh, well, that's not what I mean about politics. I know, and I don't usually either. But I think it's actually important whenever we talk about being political as Christians, it's important that we realize that to be a Christian is to be political. It's to make a political claim. I believe the gospel, the good news, the announcement that Jesus is king and his kingdom has come. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, God spoke in these sorts of political terms whenever he promised people about all the blessing, all the goodness, all the salvation that he would bring. I'm not going to read all these passages because frankly it would take way too long, but you should check them out. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God goes to King David, a political figure, and says, hey, you're going to have a descendant who's going to rule the nations. A political statement. Um, Psalm 2, Psalm 89, Psalm 110, and Psalm 132 all speak to this future king who would rule over God's kingdom. And then, that's not even to speak of what the prophets would say about this. In Isaiah 9, there's that beautiful promise about the light that would come to bring salvation and fight for God's people. And who is it? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his kingdom will endure forever. That passion in Isaiah 9, we a lot of times read all these things like, oh, look how nice Jesus is, a wonderful counselor, he's mighty, he's peace, all this stuff. Yeah, it's a political prophecy. Same thing in Isaiah chapter 11. A descendant of David would, would raise up a standard that all the nations would, would gather around. And maybe the most pointed political passage in the, in the prophets is Isaiah chapter 52, where there's the great statement, uh, go, announce the good news, your God reigns. 
the good news is a political message that, that the kingdom of God has been set up. And by the way, that's what the cross was all about, was wresting power and authority away from the evil one so that Jesus would have it. And what's been going on ever since the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to the throne to be king of kings and lord of lords, ever since then, Jesus' mission has been to expand the borders of his kingdom, to draw more and more people to him, to bring people into a covenant relationship with God through his blood and through the power of his resurrection so that people would not serve, so that we would not serve the interests of worldly political forces, but that we'd participate in the political agenda of King Jesus. It's really important for us to think about that. And this is why a lot of us inform our our lives based on our political affiliations. Think about how often you may, even jokingly or seriously, behave or talk about your behaviors as, well, yeah, I'm an American, so blah, blah, blah. Um, Well, that's a political identity that you've claimed. Some of you might even say, yeah, I'm conservative, or I'm progressive, or I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, and therefore, I behave in X, Y, Z ways. You've claimed a political identity that informs your understanding of yourself and dictates your behaviors in the world. This is why I'm saying it's so important for us to understand that to follow after Jesus is to claim a political position, to claim a political identity, that I belong to the king of heaven and earth. I belong to King Jesus. I'm a member of his kingdom. God wants us to think about ourselves through this sort of political lens. So what this means is the instructions of the New Testament aren't just religious instructions. They're the policies that govern the citizens of the kingdom of God. Um, you know, the, the values, the, the behaviors, the social structures that define God's people and that determine how we behave they're going to be totally different. Just as much as somebody who's from Sri Lanka is going to be completely different from somebody who's from Chile. Or somebody from South Africa is going to be totally different from somebody from uh, uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, All of these different political identities that we have dictate a lot of things about the way we relate to people, the way we talk, the way we think about economics, the way we think about sexuality, the way we think about Uh, justice, the way we think about ethnicity, everything is determined by your political identity and affiliation. Jesus came to say, hey, the world is ruled by the evil one. I have set up my kingdom and I'm calling you to follow me out of the world and into my kingdom. As citizens of heaven then, here in the world, we don't think of ourselves as members of it. Uh, We don't think of ourselves primarily as Americans. That's a secondary thing. We see ourselves as exiles. That's the language that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 and again in chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. We're outsiders. We're sort of like refugees, just temporary residents in whatever country we live in, the United States or elsewhere. And so our interest is not in entangling ourselves with the affairs of political ideals, political movements, political parties of the place where we're just temporarily residing as outsiders. We understand that until Jesus comes back to take us home, which he's promised he'll do, and he promised that he'd come back from the dead, and he promised he'd do a bunch of stuff that's come true, so we believe he's going to come back and the king will take us home. We recognize until that time, our divine role on earth is to serve as ambassadors to our king. Just like 
our government sends ambassadors, I mean, by that I mean the government of the United States, sends ambassadors to all sorts of different nations around the world. And you know what? They live there. I mean, the ambassadors, a lot of times, they stay in embassies and they stay in homes and they get to know the people and they learn to speak the language and they have some um, relationship to the political affairs of the people where they live. It's not that they're totally disinterested, but they have a much higher priority. They have a much higher, they have a different standard. They have a different allegiance than the people among whom they're living. This is the same thing for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 20 and 21 speak of us as new creation people who aren't living as part of this world, but are ambassadors for Christ in the world. Because God has reconciled us to himself, he sent us into the world to bring his reconciliation to more people, to offer terms of peace, in other words, to say to people who are on the other side, hey, you can come over, you can defect from the side of the evil one. You can transfer your citizenship. You can dump that passport from the world and become a member of the kingdom of God. That's what God wants from us. Now, even still, as ambassadors, as people that are different, as people who have claimed the political ideology of King Jesus, who have accepted the identity of being followers of Jesus and therefore members of his kingdom, people whose values and ideals are informed by Jesus, not by the things of the world, there is a practicality. We do interact with the world on a number of levels. That's true at your job. That's true in maybe your, probably your family. Uh, certainly a lot of your friends are people of the world. And it's not like you're not, you don't have friends that are in the world or that you don't have family that are in the world or you don't have coworkers that are in the world. Jesus did, the followers of Jesus did in the scriptures, and we do too. So then the question when it comes to politics is, how are we supposed to engage or how are we supposed to think about these things? I'm going to tell you right now, and this is going to get reiterated a few times over the next few weeks in this series, uh, the punchline of this podcast is not, oh, here's how you need to vote, or, or here's even if you should vote, or here's uh, whether or not you should go to a protest. We're going to probably touch on those things and maybe challenge some of your thoughts on those kinds of questions um, about political participation in general. But really the point of this is not to try to encourage people to do or not do any really specific thing politically, but more so it's to think more broadly and more deeply about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to engage with our world with that in mind. I do want to say this at the outset of our studies. There's a number of passages that I think are worth reading at least snippets of that we'll come back to from time to time in our studies, I think, over the coming weeks, where Jesus tells us how to interact with the political powers in our world. For instance, Romans chapter 13 is one such place where Jesus very explicitly gives the directives for his ambassadors while they're living in the world under the authorities. Romans 13 and verse 1 says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. In other words, at least as much as you can without disobeying God, you got to try to be obedient to the governing authorities. And I'll tell you, the governing authorities that Paul was talking about here were horrible. The Roman government was really bad. And yet there's still a responsibility to try to get along, to be submissive, to be as cooperative as possible. When we're asked to do things that are wrong against God, we don't do those. But he gives us a challenging call here, just like Jesus submitted to the governing authorities of his days, like paying taxes, like even going to the cross was actually an act of political submission by Jesus. He didn't have to go to the cross. And we know it was, of course, an act of submission to his father, 
But God didn't kill Jesus. The political authorities of the day in the world killed Jesus. His submission sets a model for submission that we're supposed to enact. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 takes it up another level or so. In, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter speaks in the, with similar kinds of language, but he adds a little layer to it that, frankly, is, is uh, implied, I think, in Romans 13. By the way, we're not getting into all of Romans 13 right now. Um, you'll hear more about this in our future discussions. And you can check it out yourself and meditate on these things. But in 1 Peter 2, we're told this in verse 16. 1 Peter 2 and verse 16. Act as free men. And by the way, uh, Peter wasn't thinking about freedom as we do, like uh, July 4th kind of freedom, Juneteenth kind of freedom. That's not what he's talking about. It's not political or, or social or economic freedom. He's talking about freedom in Christ, being freed from sin, freed from the world. He says, look, live like free people. You've been freed from this world, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as servants of God. What does that mean, Peter? Well, politically, here's what it means. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Maybe we can think about our speech, our attitude. It's not just mere acts of obedience to governing authorities, but Jesus expects us as his followers in the world to be as honorable as we can. Now, part of honoring people is speaking the truth, which means when we see sin, whether it's in the highest offices of uh, political power or just in our neighbors and coworkers, we acknowledge it. We don't run away from saying things are sinful and wrong whenever we see them. But it also means we don't bash people. We don't speak ill of people just because they follow a donkey or an elephant and we happen to follow the opposite side. We honor people because that's what Jesus came to do was to bring honor to people through salvation. These are just a couple of texts. I mean, there's there's others. The end of Titus chapter 2 and beginning of Titus 3. Um, Jesus, of course, spoke about taxation policy of the Roman era whenever he said give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God that which is God's. Uh, one other passage that I do think is worth noting though before we kind of move on and, and wrap up this episode here is in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, Paul's writing to Timothy and, and he said in this letter that the, the purpose of this letter was to teach people how to live as God's household, as God's family. Or we might say as sort of like an outpost of, uh, of God's kingdom in the world. And that's really what God's people are whenever we get together and work together. We're just an outpost, a little, little hub where ambassadors get together and help each other learn how to live in relationship to the world. First Timothy 2 and verse 1 says, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all people. Notice that. Pray for people and give thanks for all people for kings, and for all who are in authority. Did you hear that? Pray for, and I think the text is teaching us, give thanks for all people, and especially those who are in authority. Which again, in the era when this was written, we're talking about the Caesars. And if you don't know, I'm sure you do, but if you don't know about how the Caesars were, just go do a little research. It'd be tough to pray for these guys, other than to pray that they keel over dead the next day. It'd be especially tough to give thanks for much of anything related to these guys. And yet that's what we're supposed to do. Besides submission and being respectable as much as we are able to and still be honoring to God, the greatest political action every Christian can take is to be prayerful. And here's what we're to be prayerful for. 
Because you may say, oh yeah, trust me, I've been praying that so-and-so would get elected or would not get elected. Well, here's what we should be praying for. That we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth, I might add, that in our context is that Jesus is King. That's what Paul would come to later, in uh, even in this letter in 1 Timothy, where he would call Jesus uh, the, the King of Kings, the, the, the immortal one, the, the one who rules over all, the great sovereign. What we need to be praying for as God's people, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should understand that this is how Christians are supposed to think and behave politically. We're supposed to be praying that we could get along in the world. Not necessarily that everything would be perfect. The world's ruled by the evil one, so we don't expect that. We've already pledged our allegiance to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and we trust in Him to give us life, true liberty, and true happiness. And so we just pray that while we're in the world, we'll be able to keep on living without much interference from the government or from anybody or anything, so that not so much that we can enjoy our life, but that we can live a godly, dignified life that promotes the gospel, the good news, the political message, that there's another world better than this world. There's another kingdom that rules over all the kingdoms of men. There's a more secure, joyous, peaceful place than any place we could ever manufacture here on earth. In the meantime, we do our best to figure out how to navigate and interact with the political forces around us. But ultimately, we look to our king for our security, for our happiness, um, for our wellness in all things. I hope you're going to be able to join us for the next few weeks. Uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's been really fun. that we've, we've already been in the midst of these discussions. I'm recording this as we're starting this series here just a few weeks before the presidential election in 2020. Um, and the, the class discussions we've been having that we'll be releasing in the following weeks are really encouraging. There, people uh, have been engaging with really great questions, um, thought-provoking comments, good exploration of Scripture, good testing of our own thoughts and our own attitudes. And I hope you'll come along with us on this journey, and I hope it'll help you. Uh, you may disagree with some things. You may see some things that we just are flat wrong about. Or maybe we said in a strange way, maybe somebody said something or maybe I said something or whatever in these discussions that was uh, unclear or, or inaccurate and a mistake. Or it may just be outright wrong, what we're saying. You be our friend to reach out. Let's talk about Scripture. Message us on Facebook on our page, The Way BK. Reach out to us on our website, thewaybk.com. Uh, send us an email, let us know what you think so that we can talk and engage about these things. And uh, especially if you're not a Christian, I hope this, and you're, you've come across this, I hope this series might be interesting to you just to hear what the Bible says. I know you probably have a perception of Christians as a voting block and how Christians are, and you probably have a lot of uh, maybe mixed or maybe all negative or maybe all positive, I don't know, viewpoints about that. But hopefully the next few weeks will show you the way God expects his people to think, the way King Jesus expects his followers to think about politics. Thanks for joining us. As always, we hope this helps you out. Please let us know if there's anything we can do for you more on a personal level, and God bless you. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.